Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Howdy, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's our uh, scripture study podcast. We move through the scriptures. That's what, on a podcast. That's, <laughs> that <laughs> in case you needed really like context clues or something. Creative. Yeah, well, people need little, it's February. People's brains are slowing down. Okay. It's foggy in their mind. And so they just need a little bit of assistance. So okay. you're welcome. So happy that you are here. We're in the New Testament <laughs> this year. And uh, today we kind of, start this really awesome segment of the New Testament. I, I feel like the first couple of weeks, you kind of was an introduction to Jesus, a lot of pre-ministry, and today we really fall into the ministry. So we're um, super excited about um, what's happening. You can see already, if you're watching, if you're on the podcast, um, I'll tell you what we're calling today is spending time with Jesus. So before we jump into that. And we, should we say where we got that from? Yeah, but we'll do that in one second. Oh. Um, or we're going to forget to tell everybody, we oh. just finished recording another masterclass. If you were with us two something years ago, <laughs> I don't even know when, um, uh, we did a masterclass, a six-part video, seven-part video series on the second coming and the book of Revelation. And we just finished recording another one. Uh, it's just something that we've been thinking a lot about, talking to people about, I think kind of coming off of like, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what it is, but the last couple of years have sort of like knocked people's rhythms off, at least mine. And so a lot of our conversations have been around this idea of wanting to be more deliberate, wanting to like in, in my faith journey and in my relationships and maybe particularly um, my relationship with God. Yeah, we love this idea of living a God-led life. And what would that actually look like? So that's coming. Just a this is a preview, like at the movies. But uh, I we'll love tell previews. you. Yeah. That's my favorite part of Same. movies. If I don't get there for the previews, I'm out. Like Me I don't want to go to the Me movie. Too. So we should have put some music behind that or something really and popcorn. Yes, fun. But anyways, that's coming. We'll tell you when that comes out. It'll be in March. But a sneak preview. We're just excited because we just finished the filming. So. Um, okay, this title, Spending Time with Jesus, um, it's so darling. I like love the idea of this title. Say where we got it from and okay, then we can just say you, why we love it. It makes you love it even more. Um, from the most recent general conference, <coughs> all of a sudden I have a frog in my throat, um, Elder McConkie's talk, which was one of my favorites immediately. Do you ever have like immediate favorites? Yeah, same. It ended. I was like, that one won. Yeah. That one won conference. Yeah, this, that's going to be yeah. like one of my top five <laughs> for sure. And it was one of those, and we're going to actually dive into it today, which I love for the fact of, I love when we're learning from ancient prophets, ancient records, ancient stories. But there is something for me about modern prophets and apostles reflecting back to those same stories that makes them feel more relevant to me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, now I can see where this fits like in my life and in my story. And Elder McConkie is the one who spoke about this. His talk was named, They Sought to See Jesus Who He Was. And he's going to tell the story of the four friends who bring their friends 
to their friend to Christ, which we're going to talk about in segment five. Um, so we'll get to it in a minute. But at the very end of his conference talk, he says the cutest thing. It's just this one-liner, and he says, These are a few of the things I have learned from spending time with Jesus in Mark 2. And you just feel like he like spent the afternoon with right. Jesus, right? When you read right. it, it's just so cute when he's like, these are a few of the things I learned from spending time with Jesus. And that's what we're actually going to do today. There's five stories that we just like get to enter into and learn from. And it, it's like spending a little bit of time with Jesus. Right. So there's something that we are just loving about this. You should probably talk about your Inklings group right now because I love that you take these modern talks and are actually like diving into them with people. This morning, Vanessa Quigley just talked about it being one of her rhythms. Yes. You know, that's something that she'd wanted to do and now she's implementing it. And so, Yeah, that is so if- true. We have this fun ladies group that meets on Thursday mornings for an institute class. And for a second, you feel like you have to live in my neighborhood to be a part of it, but it actually isn't true. This is what I love the most about the class is it's a worldwide institute class <clears throat> that meets on Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Utah time on Instagram. And we get on and study a conference talk every single week together. All of us um, get on together and talk about it and discuss it and what are we learning and it's making conference become so much a part of my life like integral to how i'm living out my life and i love that there's women in india and women in china even mainland china there's women in um just everywhere in europe people wake up in nebraska Nebraska, uh, new zealand that these women from all over the church are getting on to talk about the experiences they're having with these words from modern day prophets and apostles. And it's the sweetest thing. We save them. The, uh, the account, if you do Instagram, is inklings.institute. Um, but those lessons are recorded and they're there all the time. So there's a full semester's worth of lessons. It's also a podcast. I don't even know what you look up for the podcast, but probably Inklings. Yeah, you do. Okay. Because <laughs> I can't watch it on Instagram because I have to put it on 1.5 speed, just so you know. Okay. The, I mean, I like your and regular tone of voice, but thank you. I just have to get to 1.5. You like it's it when thing. I'm squirrel better? Yes. Um, I Something for me that has been magical, this is our seventh semester of doing this together, this huge community of women studying the words of modern prophets together. And we were talking about this just the other day that we have spent the last four years leaning into come follow me and creating this community of people who gets into the scriptures and studies through the standard works together. And it was a couple years after we started this, that the Inklings group started and it has become as significant for me now as my Come Follow Me study yeah. because there is something about having the most recent words from conference part of my everyday life and my conversations and what I'm studying and what I'm doing. I, I feel like I'm becoming better mm-hmm. because I'm living faith that is relevant to our time, to our culture, to our society that is like the most important words of scripture I could have. And every week I'm diving in and I love not just by myself, but with this darling community of women everywhere um, that also watches. And my kid's favorite part of Inklings, I just have to say this is, we kind of all know each other and 
Um, it's fun because we all have jewelry that we wear that matches and you'll see each other at like the temple or people will talk about it and you'll just walk by and they'll be like inklings as they walk by. And it's just this darling community of women gathered together to, to study deeper. And there's something about that. And I love today that we're going to be able to do that, spend time with Jesus in both ancient text, but also modern text as we combine this lesson together. Yeah, I, I am really digging the idea. Inklings isn't 100% my vibe. You know, I feel like I kind of secretly get into it, you know. And, um, you know, it just is it's fantastic. I love it. But I have been thinking about that. It's like, how can I kind of press into that a little bit more? Just that idea of, oh, man, is there a principle a week that's come from modern inspiration that I could like live out and just kind of think through like what's that look like at work what's that look like at school what's that look like anyways I want to do more with that you want to create a minklings yeah <laughs> maybe a, I should a men's a me well yeah well, it doesn't have to be men we're gonna invite everybody who knows okay. I might start my own okay um, I love it so this one spending time with Jesus um I just this idea of he actually quotes J. Reuben Clark at the end. Can I borrow your yeah. big pink binder? Um, in his footnotes, and it says this, that President J. Reuben Clark said, and he encouraged the study of the life of the Savior as an actual personality. And he invited others to be a part of the, to get into the scriptural ac accounts of Jesus' life, to try and go along with the Savior, live with him, let him be an actual man, half divine, of course, but nevertheless, moving as a man moved in those days. And then he promised that this, this kind of study will give you such a view of him, such an intimacy with him, as I think you can get in no other way. Learn what he did, what he thought, and what he taught. Do as he did, lived as he lived, so far as we can. And the idea of, you know spending time with him, and, watching. And that thought about him being an actual man. Yeah. Like that he actually stood in these houses and these boats and these, and these places that we're going to look at today. And I love this whole concept of, of doing that. So it's a story day and let's jump into story number one, um, which we're calling touched. And this is, um, Oh, PS, maybe you're, um, this friend stopped me at the gym this uh, yesterday morning, and she just said, I love that you've divided these up into mini segments. And if you don't know that we're doing that, um, we are. <laughs> and you can kind of, and we're putting them on our Instagram page also. If that's easier, we're just trying to put them in wherever you can. They're divided by chapters on the YouTube channel. Um, but we'll kind of, the podcast people, you can just pause. But she said something that I thought was so cool. That she was just like, I just, I like listening to just a single segment and then thinking about that all day long. And it's sort of how we designed the journal also, where in my mind, a great way to do the journal would be to like, think about that first story. Study out that first story and then come and then answer the reflective question that has to do with that one in here. Because each of these yeah, questions so good. Go goes with the with segments, a segment. Right. Um, and this first question in the journal is, if Matthew 8, 1 through 4 was the only story you knew about Jesus, what would you know? So we're, let's, just gonna, let's just read this. It's four verses long. And I just want you to consider that question and think to yourself, what if... This was my first introduction to him. Yeah, it's the or your only, only thing. What yeah. if it's the only thing I knew about him? What could you walk away from 
this knowing? And this is a great question for a family little scripture study or a class question um, as you do this, just to like get people thinking about it. You could do it with, with any of these stories of Jesus, which would be maybe really cool to every time mm-hmm. you get into a new one, say like, okay, let's do that again, you guys, and, and write it out. So pretend this is all you know, Matthew 8, 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, what if those were the only verses, the only moment that you spent with Jesus, the only scene that you got to see? Like, what could you walk away from that um, observing? Like, what would, you, what would you know? And I've done this before in classes, and I love it. I love what people, like, see. Like, um, one time someone said, they were like, it's interesting, verse 1, he says, great multitudes started following him. Mm. So there was something about him that drew people of every kind, you know? There was something about him that was, but then it moves directly into a one-on-one story. So just the difference between those is something that's, that's really neat. Now, you may know this about leprosy. This could be, leprosy could be any kind of skin disease. Um, Most likely when I read this leper's reaction, him falling down, and almost begging in a sense. It doesn't sound like a skin rash necessarily, but rather probably a more serious like case of leprosy that he maybe is a full-blown rotting from the inside out, that he lives ostracized in, in another part of the community, that he wears the clothes that identify him as a leper, that he carries the bell, that he's required by law to ring so that people don't get near him. Um, that he's aching both physically, but also socially and then in turn spiritually because, I mean, you know how it is when you're sick, you just, like, you can't feel, you know, like spirituality, like lessons, everything lessons. There's no connection. Right. And, and, you know, there's so much research (laughs) on that whole idea of like human touch Yeah, and what happens to like babies, you know, if they're not touched and, you know, like... There's so much surrounding that that we understand and realize how vital that is. And I read this story and I think to myself, when is the last time this man was hugged? When's the last time someone even shook his hand, put, a, put an arm around his shoulder? When's the last time he's had a goodnight kiss? Like, and, and you just imagine what his life is like. And that's why that verse three is so touching to me that Matthew, when he writes it, he slows down the camera. Like he doesn't say, and Jesus healed him, <laughs> which you could have, and he yeah. will in other stories, Yeah, you know, but rather he tells you how he heals him. He says, he put forth his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be thou clean. And we will see so many different ways that Jesus performs his miracles. He will, he will, he will say the words. Um, he will tell people, go wash in the river. He could have waved the magic wand. He could. There's so yeah, many. Yeah, the handkerchiefs. Things. Yeah. right. That was and, a real life thing. Yeah, any he could have healed him in any manner of way. It's touching to me, haha, that the way he decides to heal this untouchable man is with a tender touch. That he's like, this is how I'm going to heal him. You learn something about 
his character and personality in that small moment that just, um, man, it just speaks volumes about what he is like and, and who he is. Yeah, and I love, someone once taught me this, and I don't speak either of these languages, but someone told me the translation in Czechoslovakian. Do you wish you spoke that? Uh, <laughs> never have until this moment. And Spanish reads, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I want, Oh, be thou clean. Well, that's actually so interesting because when the leper comes to him, he says, if you want, in verse two, you can make me clean. So he's actually not questioning Jesus's ability. He's actually questioning Jesus's heart. Mm. I wonder if you actually want to or are willing to. And then, so Jesus answers back, not I can, but I will. I actually, yeah, I want to. I want to. Yeah. And this story is, it just is so, so oh, sweet so to cute. learn that about him. Right? Yeah. What, if, what if, I mean, mm. you walk away from this and you're just like, he's a God who wants to heal. And I think it's interesting too in verse four, when he says to them, don't tell any man, but go your way and show yourselves to the priest. And I love that the other thing we learn about Jesus here is He's going to turn things upside down. He's going to do things in unexpected ways. But he also is going to respect the law of God that is on earth at that time that everybody is living within. Yeah. And I love that he is somehow smart enough to balance both, mm. to balance the, the loving well, but also like there is part of this that falls within the law right. and, and what that looks like in I think when we see him as an actual man, which the chosen does that so well, um, part of what he balances is also living within the structure of what society looked like at that yeah, time. Yeah. And that that was also important to him, paying the tribute and doing some of those things like he is teaching us that, um, that, that we will, he can work within systems yeah. and constraints. And we'll see in the New Testament later and things that are going to be changed will be, but they'll take some time, yep. right? We won't see some changes that Jesus initiates here until later on. That's actually really cool to think about. Um, okay, then we're going to jump to Luke 7 now for a minute. Um, we're calling this so great because it's one of our favorite parts. And the question in the journal, question number two is probably my favorite question uh, of this whole week. Um, we're going to do, I didn't know if you had a picture of, of the guy. question. Oh, of the man. Oh, yeah. no, no. Okay. Um, so this is going to be a centurion who um, is Roman. and his... Which, by the way, hold on. It made me think because I had that picture of Jesus and the leper, if you're not watching on YouTube, um, on the screen. And there isn't one for this next story. Um, I didn't search for one, but I actually really, really love, I think it goes along with J. Reuben Clark's um, quote that he said, um, this is really important when you read these stories to try to use your imagination. Imagination is such a powerful scripture study tool mm. to just, and to read between the lines, like try and get into people's hearts, trying to get into their thoughts, trying to get into their emotions. I know that they're just assumptions, but it's okay to kind of like feel and think through that. Like how would I have felt if I were that leper? How would I feel if I were this centurion. Yeah, I and this is one of my a... favorite ones to do it with. Yeah, right. Because there's something so interesting about the centurion who, think about it, like the, the Romans were in charge. They were like their authority, their presence was so like noted at the time. 
and then he's worried about his servant. That's what's happening. And he hears of Jesus and he sends unto him the elders of the Jews that he would um, be able to come and heal this servant for Who? him. P.S. I've never read this line before in two. And a certain centurion servant who was dear yes, unto him. Yes, I know. I because love that isn't part. isn't that interesting that you, like, normally, Rome is the bad guy yeah. in the story. Like, Rome is thoughtless and emotionless. And yes. all they want is to conquer and, you know, all these things. And it's just like, oh, but actually. He had a heart. He had a heart. And there was one of his servants, you know, yeah. who was like, I really love him. Yes. There's something really cool about that. And that he's willing to go out of his line of authority and his custom and his way of doing things if there's any chance that something might be done so for cool. this man. And I love in verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly. Like they were like, we have to talk to you about this. Um, and they... Um, they say to him, you have to do this for this centurion in verse four, because he's worthy that you could do this. And I love what makes him worthy is that he built them a synagogue. So mm. we're starting to know more and more about this centurion, right? Mm -hmm. Like, first of all, for some reason, he loves this servant that he has. Second of all, he went out of his way to build a synagogue mm. for these people. So Jesus goes with them. And when he's not far from the house, the centurion sends friends to him saying, Don't, Lord, don't come to my house for I am not worthy that you should enter into my, in under my roof. And, and that's why I didn't even come to you because I don't feel like I'm worthy to come to you. And this is what I love about what you were saying earlier. I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where you're like, I need something from him. And it feels like he's the only one who actually could offer what I need. But I don't feel like I'm living up to the expectation in my head of what would allow me to approach him. Mm. And so I just won't approach him. And I think it's so interesting that one of the lessons we learn here besides the healing is that Jesus wants us to approach him yeah. that, like that thought of not being worthy is is actually not a thought he entertains no in the conversation and so far these two stories back to back even like you may have thought lepers were off limits and roman soldiers were off limits like they don't have a place with him and yeah. right at the beginning of this we're seeing like that's such a cool thought for yeah. how often we say like oh i'm actually not worthy to ask and I'm not worthy to approach. And this actually takes that right off the table. Yeah, I, which I love that you're like, if this is the only thing you knew about Jesus, you just learned, it doesn't matter how worthy you think you are to approach him. You're allowed. Yeah, he just doesn't look at things and he in wants. that way. Yeah. yeah, and he wants you to come. And he says, don't come in my house, the centurion says, because I'm not worthy for you to come in. But this is what I believe about you. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. And then he says to him, let me explain to you how I know this because I am a man set under authority. Like I understand authority. I know how it works. If I say to people, go do this, this is what they have to do. I know how authority works. And I recognize you are a man of authority, Jesus. And I, I like the same way a soldier would not approach me, I do not feel worthy to approach you. And I love when Jesus heard these things in verse 9, he marveled and turned 
him about. Like, don't you just love when he's like, almost just like shakes him a little bit. He's like, listen, your thinking is wrong. Your perspective is wrong. And then he says to all the people who are watching this conversation take place, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Remember, this man's a Gentile. This mm-hmm. is Gentile faith. So I love that he's like, in all of Israel, why am I not finding anyone who has faith and respect and understanding like this man does? There's just, there's something beautiful about that. And the simplicity of it is actually really cool where this guy actually says like, like he really makes it really simple. He's like, listen, I know how this works. I'm a boss. And when I say something, they, people do it because I have authority. You have authority. So when you say it, it should happen. Like, yeah. This seems I get really, it. really simple yeah. to me. Yes. You know? And he just has so much faith. And then what happens is servants go back to the house and they find that the servant who had been sick was whole. And um, there's a couple of things that I love about this. One is I, I learned this from Elder Hosopfel, who I love. God knew he could put anyone in the path of his son and he would stop. Mm. Even a Roman soldier. And he would stop. Mm. It didn't matter who it was. So that is one of the things we learn about Mm. the son. But the other thing that we learn that I love, and this is the question we put in the journal, is sometimes we see ourselves um, less than what Jesus would see or think of us. I think that is a really common occurrence for us to feel less worthy than he would assume that Mm -hmm. we are. And I love this question when Jesus says to him, I have never seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. What would he find so great in you? Hmm. Don't you just wonder that thought of like when when you look at yourself and I'm like, I I don't know. Not only is the question is if I'm worthy, but if I'm worth him taking time for this in me. And that perspective change, I think, is really important that I begin to think, you know, not, I begin to think, what does he see great in me instead of what does he see wrong in me? Mm. Because it's really easy to go there and say, these are all the things I know God sees wrong in me. Well, change your thinking and start asking the question, what does he see that is so great in me? Yeah. You know, I, I just, that would be really valuable. Um, we, uh, this, we're going to take our word a week from this story. This is um, our word a week this year, in case you don't know, is different names of Christ that help us understand his character and his nature and his attributes. And this week we chose the word healer. It comes from the same version of the story, but in the Matthew 8 um, version of it in verse 7, where it says, um, and Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. That's such a cool line. Mm -hmm. And that's the scripture that's on our poster, but in Greek, that word healer um, or to heal means things like this. Remember, ancient words can be translated so many different ways. To wait upon, to adore. I love that one. Same, to relieve. Um, oh, this one is speaking to people I know who are just like, I need relief, you know? Yeah. To cure, to attend to. I love that one too so much. Yeah. And then I actually really like this one. I almost didn't put it on there. <laughs> it's on the poster, but I was like, eh, I don't know if I love this one. And then as I wrote, I was like, I actually really love this, to serve God. That's interesting to me that like heal means to serve God, almost like God's prerogative and his 
like initiative is to heal. Yes. So if you're serving God, you're actually learning the healer's art. That's yeah. what that's they're well, synonymous. And I, and with I each love other. that thought because the person who co- who steps in as the healer is serving God. Right. In that right, right, because moment because his... he's bringing what God would bring yes. if he were here, which I love. In the journals every week, we have a section where you can pull out these words and and ponder what you learn from them. Uh, the Name comes out of the reading every single week. So by the end, we'll have 52 names that came from our New Testament study. Um, We also left a spot for you to put other scriptures that talk about him as a healer, either in the New Testament or throughout all of the standard works. And we're keeping a running list of those extra scriptures on the app for your convenience if that helps you. And you have to see this. Oh yeah, this is the best this part. This is really fun. I'm so, so excited about So if you this. are a podcast listener, we have this um, line art drawing of Jesus that we did by our friend Brie Lou. We didn't do it. We asked her to do it <laughs> and she did it. And it's this um, picture of Jesus and all throughout his robes are the different names. And you can hang this in your home or put on your desk. And each week you can add one of these names to it. So at the end, you will see like, oh, this is the mantle he wears. This is the, these are the attributes he wears. And healer is not there. They kind of go in line with each other. So you know where to write them. But this one might throw you off a little bit because it's not in the place. And then I'm showing the YouTube people who can see that we're putting, healer goes right here on the hem of his robe. Down by his feet. Down right by his feet because, well, that's just a, teaser to next week's lesson. I'm not going to hang that back up because I don't know how, Um, but that's the word. And that is (laughs) where it goes. Oh, you're good right here because our next segment is this one that we're calling, um, why are you afraid? Um, A story in Matthew eight that actually has some of the least um, comforting words in all of scripture. Like nobody put this on their missionary plaque. But there is this moment where, remember, they are fishermen. They live on the shores of Galilee and they go out fishing and Jesus goes out with them. Not fishing. They're going out on the boat. And um, it says in verse 23, when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. I think this is really interesting because it is Jesus's idea to get into the ship, you know? Yes. So (laughs) then what happens next is this gigantic storm. And I'm like learning as I read this story. It's like, well, sometimes if you follow Jesus, you actually follow him right into storms, (laughs) which might be opposite of what you think. And this story kind of clears that up. It's like, no, no, no. Disciples of Jesus still experience storms. And it says, behold, 24, there arose a great tempest in the sea as if it came out of nowhere, which is just typical of all kinds of storms in life, right? Financial ones, relationship ones, faith storms, all kinds of storms happen like they just arise. Which is so true about Galilee. Right. That is true about the Sea of Galilee. It can be completely perfect glass. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, that whole sea will just pick up. And then the waves are like, not like what you think would happen on a lake. Like you could ride a boogie board in on the waves of when that storm picks up like that because of just the way it's situated. If you've ever been in Bear Lake, similar, really similar. It actually looks almost exactly the same. The first time I saw the Sea of Galilee, I was like, oh, this is just... Bear Lake. That is Oh, that's so funny because I saw Galilee first and I'd never been to Bear Lake. And then I went to Bear Lake after Galilee and I walked up to it and I was like, huh, this looks just like, and then 
two people filled in the blank for me before I said it. They're like Sea of Galilee. You yeah. know, it's like, yes. So if you've seen a storm pick up there, you that's what it is like. It really is like what you're saying. Like everything can be totally fine. And then out of nowhere, this comes up. And you find out in the other versions of it, it's not in this Matthew one, that these men are crying out loud for fear, it says. They are like... I came in for it just in case you want me to oh, yeah. read anything and, for and, you. And they're just... And this is interesting. It gives you an idea of how big this storm is and how overwhelming it is because their profession is fishermen. Okay? So if fishermen are afraid of a storm, you know it's a big one. If the lawyer is afraid, you're like, you're a wimp. Right? But the fishermen are used to storms. They're used to the sea and they actually think they're going to die. So this is how big this storm is. And it says... His disciples, it, uh, look, inasmuch as the ship was covered with waves, like they are being boom, like just nailed yeah. by this storm. Yeah, in Mark 4, it says the ship was full of water. Right. So they're about to sink. They're getting rocked by waves and wind. And then here are the four most unhelpful <laughs> words in the whole Bible. The whole Bible. I read the whole thing. Matthew eight twenty four. This is the worst night of their life. But he was asleep. <laughs> and I think like, that's funny, but not funny. Because there are times when we are in storms and it feels that same way. Yeah. That he is asleep. And so they go to him and they say, they say to him, you actually don't care. Carest thou not that we perish? Right? They, they say, number one, we're going to die and you don't even care about it. They take his silence, his temporary silence, and interpret it to mean, um, you don't care about us, and we're going to die. And then it doesn't get much better, because Jesus says next in 26, why are you so afraid, O ye of little faith? And you're like, that's <laughs> probably not the lines that you would think would be most comforting. And I thought that for a long time. I was like, that's so patronizing. I was like, why do you think we're afraid? Luke is in the water. Matthew is dangling by a rope. People are, People like, are bailing. Yeah. What, why do you think? You know, it felt so patronizing until legit one night, middle of the night, it's like 1 a.m. I'm like asleep and all of a sudden, you know, I get poked, you know, or whatever by little hands and I open my eye and it's one of my kids who's there and, and um, he says, Dad. And I'm like, what? And he was just like, I can't sleep. And I was like, why? And he was like, I'm afraid. And I said, what are you so afraid of? And then I seriously was like, huh? Oh my gosh, I'm like Jesus right now, <laughs> right? Like I was like, oh, I just asked the same question. And I seriously like, it was like, whoa. And I wasn't like patronizing him for his fear. I legit was asking him, okay, let's actually talk through this for a second. Why are you so afraid? And it's kind of what the question in the journal like leads us to ask ourselves, like what is it that we're... And Jesus is leading them through that. Let's talk about this. Why are you so afraid? And then his next question, oh, you have little faith. And why did you go to worst case scenario about what's going to happen? And why did you go to worst case scenario about me? Like, why did you assume the very, very worst uh, about me? And those are such valuable questions, especially when we find ourselves in, in a storm. Because it might feel like he's asleep because he doesn't care. When in reality, he's asleep because he's not intimidated by the storm. He's actually bigger than it. So he can sleep right through it. And he's like, oh, I'm actually bigger than your problems. You misinterpreted my, um, my 
strength to mean apathy about you. And, and then he shows them and calms that storm for everyone who's there. And I think I've, this is a really important scripture study tip that it's probably worth to talk about for a minute right here. Because if you ever read a scripture and you think that does not represent the Jesus I know or the Jesus I believe in, sometimes you might want to ask yourself, am I reading this in the wrong tone? Yeah, um, yeah. It is, as I'm reading through it, have I actually given this a tone that wouldn't have been what happened there? Because you can read this in a very patronizing way. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no, no faith? faith. Yeah. You know, where he's like, what's wrong with yeah. you? Or that thought of like, I've done that same thing with my kids when they've come. And I'm like, I can't get them back into their bed in their room and able to sleep unless I can first help them say, okay, what are you so afraid of? Yeah. You know, the, the help walk me through what got you so nervous. And, um, you know, let's, let's get through that part. And I love, I was with Luca this past weekend and we, he was getting ready for bed. And he, as we walked up the stairs, he said to me, I sleep in my own room. I was like, that is so big you are so brave to sleep in your own room. And he's like, oh, if I ever get scared, I just pray. Jesus is not scared, mm. is what he told me when mm. I went upstairs. And I was like, I love that what actually is happening in verse four, 40 in Mark 4, and what is it in yours in Matthew 8? Where he's asleep. Where he says, what are you so afraid oh, of? Oh, 26. Is, a, is actually a moment to process through fear and faith. It, it's a moment for him to teach us that I'm not scared of what we're facing yeah. right now. And let me help you also have faith instead of fear. Like I want to enter into it with that teaching, caring, trying to understand tone. And that's something that works really well here. It works in um, John at that wedding when he's talking to his mom and you're like, why would he talk to his mom like that? Yeah, then you yeah. should say to yourself, yeah. oh, actually, would he? Talk to his mom like that. Like maybe you need to change your tone of how you're reading it. And so that's just a tip, a scripture tip. When you're reading, if something does not sound like Jesus, just ask yourself, oh, am I accidentally using the wrong tone? Yeah. Because there might be a bigger lesson here if I were to go in and, and think to myself, how would Jesus actually have said this? And why would he be asking that question? Yeah. And, I, and, and it ends, I think there's just maybe two other things I think it would be cool to say about this. In the end, verse 27, it says, But the men marveled and said, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And there's a really sweet principle there of this idea of get your eyes off the storm and get them onto his goodness and his power and his character, right? Like they marveled at the storm at the beginning of it. And it's like, switch that. Marvel at him. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's so sweet that you said, Luca said that he just prays when he's scared because, listen, the, the thunder and the lightning and the cracking of the ship and the rocking of that boat did not wake Jesus up. But the second one of his disciples called his name, he was awake. Mm. And there's something powerful about that. Yeah, about that, that power of prayer in those storm okay moments. if you follow along in your journal we're switching the order of these two and we're doing question number five 
for our fourth segment, just just in case it's going to confuse some of you. We're going to go to this story now. We're in Luke still. Um, in Luke 7 is where we're going to be. And this is just such a sweet story that mm-hmm. happens here in 7. What happens is, I have written in my Luke 7, some Bible scholars believe this event might have happened right after Jesus taught, take my yoke upon you. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy, um, and, and bring me that burden, right? And yoke with me. There are some Bible scholars who think that teaching might have happened right before this moment. And I love to think um, that that is true, that when he gave out that call, that he was like, come unto me, all ye that are heavy um, and carrying this burden. And then he leaves and he goes with a Pharisee and he's going to eat at that Pharisee's house. And in the back of my mind, I love to just picture this woman who's like, well, he said, come if you Hmm. are weary and heavy laden. So I'm going to actually take him at his word and I'm going to go where he is. And in verse 37, it says a woman in the city, which was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, which is like a risk mm-hmm. to, for a sinner to come to a Pharisee's house to bring this alabaster box to walk in uninvited. Like that's risky and embarrassing. And like, I mean, there's so, like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, which is why I, I don't love... even want to go into a new ward right. ever. And it's a yes. church, you yeah. know, where I'm like, I don't know where to sit. I don't know, like, where, yeah. you know. And this is someone's. House in the leadership of, right. you know, everything that's going on in the culture. And someone who disdains yeah. her. And don't you love that maybe what who gave her... Who uses the word disdain, by the way? I don't know, but it's you weird. Just I just did. <laughs> um, don't you love that maybe what gave her the courage was that he had said, if you are mm. heavy laden or weary, you Come. it gives you permission yeah. to enter into the situation. So she goes in with this alabaster box of ointment. And I just want to talk about that for a minute. If you're watching on YouTube, I have an alabaster box here that I actually got when we were on tour in Israel. And we had the opportunity, this part was actually in Egypt is where we went. There was a factory where men would sit outside. It wasn't even a factory. It was a little house, but in the courtyard of the house, there were like nine nine men who were working with this alabaster chiseling out these little boxes. And I hadn't realized that alabaster is so fragile. Did you know that about mm-hmm. alabaster? And the other thing that's interesting is as they chip away at it, it becomes super thin. And if I were to put a light inside of here, you would actually see it reflecting outside of the box because it's so like translucent or transparent. It's just is... Translucent sounds fancier. Yeah. Stick with that. Yeah. It's just... um, Crystalline. Yeah. And it's (laughs) fragile. That's what I love about it. It's fragile. Now, what would happen is you could keep enough oil in here that that would be like your savings account. This, This would be the most precious thing that you had in your house. And it is where she probably what was was keeping her her livelihood, her cost of living would have been in this box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with this 
ointment. And there's two things I love about the fact that alabaster is mentioned in this story. First of all, like what would cause you to break open your alabaster box? Mm. What would be something that would be worth digging into the most important savings yeah. that you have? I'm so intrigued by the thought of that. But I also love, like it's so intimate. She's entering into this situation in such an intimate way. Like you think of the risk of just walking in the house, but then she doesn't like to stand in the corner. She like enters in um, to what is happening at dinner. And when the Pharisee who invited him saw it inside of himself, he was like, if this man was truly a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that is touching him, right? She is unclean. She is unworthy. It's interesting how we keep going back to that, um, that thought process in each of these stories right, for she is right. a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he's like, okay, speak freely and say that. And he goes through this process of if there was a creditor who had two debtors and one owed 500 and the other 50, and he frankly forgives them, which one would love him more, do you think? And Simon's like, oh, the, the one who he forgave the most. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. The one, the one who he would forgive the most, that's the one he would love the yeah. most. Interestingly, that in that room, there were two people who probably should have been asking for forgiveness in that moment, mm. but only one was. And, and that makes it like doubly interesting to me because the Pharisee wasn't even asking, which means Jesus could forgive him none because he wasn't asking for anything where the, this woman is taking this huge risk in this moment to ask for forgiveness from Jesus while a Pharisee is watching the process happen. And I love when he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Which in his mind, he's like, I know what you see. Because I know what you just thought about this woman. That word disdain, that actually is such an interesting word. Like he's like, do you see her? Because... I actually see what you see mm. in her. And then it's interesting because I entered your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she washed my feet with tears. Like tears. Not even with the water at your back door. Yeah. With tears. And she wiped them with the hairs of her head. Like she was willing to get her hair dirty with the what is on my feet every day. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, like, I love that he's like, you are correct in that. Like, your assumption about her is correct, but she's forgiven, frankly forgiven. And why? What allowed the forgiving, because she loved much, he says. That's what is allowing that huge forgiveness to take place is because she loved much. And um, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And I just love the thought of that. What does that actually look like in my life, to love much compared to love little? Don't you want to be someone who just loves much? 
that that's just is who you are. That's your nature. That's the way you engage in life. And like you look at the Pharisee and it was like the way he saw things was with little love. The way he welcomed people into his home was with little love. The way he was willing to be generous with people was with little love. And the woman entered in with risk. She was a risk taker mm-hmm. with intimacy, with like just so much hospitality and generosity. Um, that That's what it looks like to have um, much love. I love um, at the end of this moment, he's, he says to her, your faith hath made you whole. Go away with peace from here when you leave this. And I, I love that thought of this divine forgiveness, this like without bounds mm-hmm. forgiveness, but that comes because it's also her love was without bounds. Like she didn't live in the boundary or constraints of society or culture. It was without bounds. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, so if you read another translation of this, I think it helps like um, line it up with the parable, right? Who's going to love more? And then the answer was probably the one he forgave more, you know? And another translation, the NIV says in Luke 7, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And puts it in that she had she loved much because he forgave much. Yeah. And it's almost as if the Pharisee thought, oh, I am actually just a five-pence sinner. So I don't have any need to show love to you. I have no need to show gratitude to mm. you because you haven't done much for me. My obedience has actually done it for me. Yes. You haven't. Yeah. And so there's something about this woman realizing and recognizing, like, I needed I need help. I need forgiveness. I need grace. And that propelled, that's what fired up, you know, this, these audacious acts where you're just like, you know, it's like, how, why are you doing? You're so like over the top in your love. And she could respond, well, that's because he was so over the top in his love for me. And it's, it's caused that in me. And I love when you think about this, um, alabaster box that actually what was inside her heart reflected in what she did yes it it just was reflected and it reflected out as love that's how it was expressed and i think that is true that grace or charis is is the greek translation can sometimes be defined as the divine touch on a heart but then it's reflection in a life. And mm-hmm. don't you love the thought that like out of that fragile and intimate and sacred moment, what was reflected out of that moment was an understanding of grace and how it was reflected was through an expression of love. Mm. And I think there's a really important lesson yeah. there. So cool. Um, you have to know this. I'm going to give now I've just decided there is this song oh, about yes. this story that is so Good. It's a little bit older, but it's so good. Um, it's by a woman whose name is Cece Winan. Well, she does the best version of it. It's called The Alabaster Box. I am for sure putting that on the app this week. Um, in our daily section on the app, um, we give a Monday through Friday family scripture study, like a scripture with 
questions to ask that are some for the little, some for the middles, and some for the older ones. If you want to learn more about that, go to don'tmissthestudy.com. But each week I also put a song that could be um, good for that week that kind of sums up one of the stories of that week. And for sure it's going to be this one. Yeah. So you can jam to that one this week. CeCe Winan, and, and the, the chorus, Alabaster Box. The whole so thing good. is <laughs> unbelievable. Like every word she picked is so good, but the chorus, oh, it's so good. Okay, okay. now this last story, you guys. It's so fun. Uh, this, these four friends are the heroes of the week. Um, we are calling this section um, a little, a, a line from that general conference talk that we told you about at the beginning, carry your corner, um, because of what happens with these boys. So, And let's say this too, the lesson's going to take it out of Mark 2, but you kind of want to marry it with Luke 5 at the same time in order to have your best imagination. Yeah. Because you just want everything Every that's bit happening of this. in this story. So if this so story good. is new to you. He was in Capernaum and they're kind of the rumor went through the city. Wait, it's new to you. I'm there. so intrigued why you just said that. I mean, this story, it was new to somebody. Oh. <laughs> what did you think I was saying? I was like, it was almost as if we'd never heard it before. Well, David has hasn't. a translation of scripture. It's new. We've <laughs> never heard it. Did you put well, a picture up here? I might. I might. No, oh, that's the talk, but this by is the, the talk way. it comes out of, and we're going to refer to it a little bit. So we'll keep okay, that ready. Okay, so if he's in the city, and then it says, it, when people heard the rumor, verse 2, straightway, many were gathered together. They come to the house that he's at, and it's jam-packed standing room only at the windows at the door you can't even get in and he's preaching to these people and then verse three i love it, it says and they came <laughs> you don't even like, get a good intro right they? yeah so they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four and i love thinking about what happened when they were sitting at their own house when one of them came running in and said he's here the healer he's in our city and they have this friend whose palsy is paralyzed. And, and somewhere, somehow, one of them comes up with the idea, we have got to get him to Jesus. I, that is so awesome to me. Sometimes I want to put that right on the front page of Preach My Gospel mm. and say, this is what missionary work looks yeah, like. Yeah, this is the model. This is it. This mm -hmm. is what it looks like. You can't help him, but you know someone who can. So get him there. Yeah, and this is where I love to uh, go over into the Luke reading or writing of this. I'm going to be in Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 18. It says, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude... Like, this is so interesting to me because they get to that house. They're looking at the house. They all get there. They bring him. And then don't you feel like your response would have been like, uh, there's no way we're getting in there. Let's come back tomorrow. Like, I just feel like that would be the most common response. Right. This is not going to work today. We'll cut, we'll try again tomorrow. But I love this that is why, guys, This is how you know that they're under the age of 30. Yeah. Because you're so just true. like, that is like a 30 plus thing to say. Right? It's like, yeah. well... We tried. Yes. It's not going to work. And so I love that they're like, let's go up on the housetop. And they go up on the housetop. And then there's going to be... Up on the housetop. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> and then there's going to be this moment that also... You, you can't even be like they're under the age of 30 because they're obviously... 
like 18 to 22. <laughs> that is your mind because they're like, well, how, what are we going to do? Because Jesus is down there. And some guys like, let's just tear off the roof. Yeah. Like, Whose mom thought that was a good idea in that <laughs> moment, you know? And I know and, they had tiles and like, you could, but I just... But not little, that's like, the thing. Yeah. Right, they're not just like putting a small hole in the roof to like pass a Dr. Pepper through. It's yes. like they're going to put a man yes. on a bed yes. down. down. So you have, it's a big hole. And you do really love that moment of like, it tells us now I'm going back to Mark 2, verse 4. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, like this was not a small job. This yeah. was like, and don't you love the people inside who are like, what is happening I know, right now? I know. And I wish this kind of stuff would happen in church more. It'd make it so much more fun. <laughs> like, when is the last time? Like, <laughs> you're just in there and just all of a sudden, like, the, the roof ceiling. opens. And who loves that? Everyone else is like, what is happening? And But Jesus is like, exactly, this is going to be this good. Is gonna, <laughs> and who, where'd they get the pulley system or whatever right. to lower his bed? But they just like right into the middle. They yeah. just drop, not slowly, Again, drop. risky. Yeah, right at the feet of Jesus. And that's why I think this is like, oh, uh, missionary work equals. Yeah. This is what actually equals. Friends taking someone who needs Jesus to his feet in whatever way. Yes. In they whatever have to get way. him there. When I teach this to youth... This is one of my favorite things to do in this next verse that we're going to stumble upon because it's really interesting. We will talk a lot of times about faith and where faith is required from us. Where, where do we step in and that faith that precedes a miracle? And, and we will talk a lot about that. And in this story, we learn something that for me is so um, tender and also so empowering for me. Um, maybe because... Uh, um, well, I don't know, but I always say to my kids this, I want you to read Mark 2 verse 5, and then I want you to go to Luke 5 verse 20, and I want you to tell me by whose faith the man was healed. Because I think it's so interesting. We expect, we're so used to this, go thy way, your faith hath made you whole. That's what we are used to mm -hmm. happening. And we see it over and over again. Remember, we just saw it in the woman with the alabaster box. We're going to see it with the woman who touches Christ's robe. You're, you see it over and over. Your faith has made you whole. The leper, right? Right. Um, over and over again. But it is not actually true in this story, which I'm fascinated by. Because then your kids, when they look at it, will be like their faith. It says in both places, their faith because of their faith, he says to this man, and whose faith is he talking about? Mm -hmm. Who's there? You know, and I just, I love this thought. Those four, those four who went to the house, brought him, carried on top of the roof, broke the whole roof down, laid him down in the middle. And then I want to say this, that person you're praying for, that person that you are desperate for Jesus to do something in their life right now, that person who may not ask for themselves for the healing or wholeness that they need. I love the thought that the power of four friends, the faith of four friends together can bring about that healing. So 
I, w- I just want to say, pray on, carry mm. on, mm-hmm. keep lifting and strengthening and holding steady and being there because your faith actually has the power to bring healing to that person who hasn't even asked yet. And I love the lesson in that. And that both people recorded it. Like you can't just be like, well, I think Matthew made a mistake. Right, right. You know, but no, Luke says the same thing. I, this is something we, I get together Sunday nights with Jack and all his friends for like a mission prep. And this is the story that I share with them where it's like, listen, your courage, your faith, your ideas, your willingness, your sacrifice is actually going to lead to people hearing God say, your sins are forgiven mm. you. Like, that's the equation yeah. here. And the worksheet that we have this week is, and, and the rest of the story is great. And Wait, you and you need it. to just tell yeah. that one part because I love how you tell it and I want to say something from here. So oh, oh, will you please the... tell the part about um, the, uh, what he does? In that yeah. moment, like they're so, expecting him to walk and Jesus is like, yeah. you got to tell this part. It's so okay. good. So he lowers him down, you know, and he says, you know, when there he is, Jesus looks at him. He says, son, you know, and, and in my mind, there's this pause and the four friends are up top and they're like, this is it, <laughs> you know, and like, <laughs> this is what we've been waiting yes, for. Yes, yes. And then all of a sudden he says, your sins are forgiven you. And I think. Imagine there would have been a little bit of disappointment <laughs> with some of them up on the roof, just kind of like, well, I know that's nice. Um, his legs don't work. Um, that's kind of why we tore the roof up, <laughs> lowered him down. Like, I don't know, you know. Um, so I don't know if you know, that's kind of the miracle that we wanted was um, the leg one. So, um, hmm? And then you have other people in the corner who are just like griping about the fact that they're just like, wait a second, he doesn't have authority to forgive sins. That's so blasphemous, you know? And, and so all this stuff has happened. You've got maybe disappointed. You've got griping in the corner. You've got the audience, the people who are there who are like, this is the best damn church I ever been to, you know? Um, and everyone's at all these emotions and the hap- we forget about the happiest one in the room. And it's the boy on the, on the bed. Um, in Jesus's day, You'll see this in other spots. People thought, if I have a sickness, if I have an injury, if I have a handicap of any kind, it's because God's upset with me. So the order of the miracles that happen is actually super tender to the boy. Because the first one was, your sins are forgiven you. And your legs still don't work. Which means God's never been mad at you, is what that means. But then he says to everybody in the room, let me ask you a question. Is it easier for me to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or would it be easier to say, arise and take up your bed and walk? Which of those miracles would cost more? Which I know what you're thinking. It's so easy to just say that. But what I'm asking you is which one's actually easier to do? And one of those miracles is going to require the cross one of those, for him to be able to speak forgiveness is going to require the Garden of Gethsemane and and the cross. Um, And then to teach them that, he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man does have power on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the boy and he says, arise and take up your bed and walk. 
Uh, and he does. Immediately, he, he stood up and, and took his bed. And the end of verse 12 is so cute. Everybody was amazed and glorified and said, we never saw it on this fashion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but just this moment of, I do have power to forgive sins. I am willing to break open my own alabaster box. I am willing to sacrifice to give so that I may be able to do both of these miracles, mm. to heal you whole. And, and there is that pow- it's powerful how the story ends. Yeah. And again, everyone there gets to experience it because four friends took an idea and put it into action. Yep, and that's the quote I want to go back to this James McConkie's talk from conference and that conversation that you're having with those boys on Sunday nights because he says the qualities exhibited by the four friends are worth considering and emulating. And I love that he's teaching us two principles there. Like don't just read it and consider it, but actually do it. Do mm-hmm. something about it. And then he, he lists what they are. They are bold, adaptive, resilient, creative, versatile, hopeful, determined, faithful, optimistic, humble, and enduring. Like, I just love that he's like, be this and be it in your places, right? Be, be that for someone else who needs you. And then he says this, additionally, the four emphasize the spiritual importance of community and fellowship in order to bring their friend to Christ. Each of the four must carry their corner. If one lets go, things get more difficult. If two give up, the task effectively becomes impossible. Each of us has a role to play in the kingdom of God. And I just think that's such a powerful lesson for this story to realize like the importance of carrying your corner and you are needed in the kingdom. And that doesn't require any calling bigger than ministering. I once served in a ward where I had a bishop. Um, I, we were, it was a young ward, a young married ward. I, I probably was 23 or 24 at the time. And I had just been called in to serve as the Relief Society president of that ward. And I went in, it was when visiting teaching was a thing. And I went in, I mean, it's still a thing, but it was called visiting teaching. And I went in and sat down and he was like, okay, I need you to go through this list. I need you to look at every person. Where are they going? Who are they going with? And then he said to me, this is the most important callings in our ward right now. And I just sat there for a minute and in my mind, I immediately was like, I don't think you're right because I feel like like elders quorum president and Bishop Rick, like that seems like the most important callings in our ward. And he must've seen my mind like tinkering with that thought because he's like, let me make this clear to you. If someone actually does not have time to do the most important calling in our ward, which is this, I will release them from any other calling they have because Mm -hmm. there is nothing that is more important than this calling, which was so interesting to me that he was like, you, you would release like the first counselor in the bishopric in order that he could minister. Like it did this unbalancing for me Mm. of like where things fit in priorities and for him, the priority, this was the priority. Carry your corner. 
Yeah. That was the priority. Take care of the one. That is the priority. I don't care about the administration of this community. I care about the ministering mm -hmm. in this community. And it makes me think, okay, when you talk about building the kingdom, when Elder McConkie is giving that call out, don't drop your corner to think to myself, okay, how am I actually doing on that most important calling? And that's what I love about this worksheet in the book is it allows us not to just consider like Elder McConkie was saying, but that word that he said, um, emulate, yeah. like let's actually emulate it. And this is going to be something you can do on your own or your, um, this would be so great for a seminary class or for if you teach um, Sunday school to the youth or to the adults, like to actually sit down and say, okay, if I'm going to be one of the four friends, how do I go after the one? What's that actually going to look like this week for me? And how we would took, I bring others? Yeah, we took each of these from the story. Like these are the things, and you might have others that you think of also, but just like this is some of the things that we considered and saw in those four friends of what they did, something that we could emulate in our in our own way. Yeah, I just, I love the thought of like making it come alive and making it real to you. And again, I just go back to this thought about conference and maybe this is a good place to end. There is something really important about not just reading these words from ancient prophets and these ancient records, but actually really making them relevant in our life today, right now. What does it look like? And um, yeah, like you, I mean, they opened up a roof. So one of the things on here is go to extraordinary measures. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, in their story, they opened up a roof. So odds are I'm not opening up a roof, but how, what am I going to do, right? There's no one single way to take someone to Jesus. So this story gives you permission to think outside the box, yes. to take someone through the roof. What is... What is the idea? And we have this quote on here that just kind of like says that. Let God be God. Don't get in the way of the miracle. Don't say this won't work or that won't work. Or just think and carry and, and bear the burden and bring other people with you. And there's, it's so awesome to like, but that will look different in Lehigh, Utah as it will in Capernaum. Yes. And I love that. I love the thought of that. And we have been talking a lot lately in the, um, it's been a couple months now that we've been talking about relevant faith and really making faith become something that we are actually living out every day. I've been watching this Christian revival that is taking place at a university in the middle of the United States. It just happened because a group of people got together and started praying. And it's been ongoing, these people who are gathering together and creating community to bring Jesus back into our stories and into our life and into our culture. And there's something so beautiful about what happened with Come Follow Me that is doing that for us. But I also feel this call, like we talked about earlier, to bring these words of modern day prophets and apostles into our daily conversation, into our life, in the living out of what do we actually believe and what does it look like in our culture and in our society and in, in what we're trying to accomplish in the kingdom today. And I love that thought that where we can find relevance here in general conference and here 
in scripture just makes us more powerful Christians as we go about living out um, his word and his call. Yeah. And I think when you compare some of these stories next to each other, you see that Pharisee, you know, who was like almost wanting to shut the door and limit, limit, you know, what Jesus could do and who he could speak to and who he could love and who he could forgive and compare that to these four boys who just like, our goal is more Jesus and whatever it takes to bring in more Jesus into people's lives. That is what we are going to do. And that's what I think the scriptures do and the, the modern day scriptures do is they show us the ways to bring in more Jesus. Yeah, that's their intention. That's so good. One of the things that you are going to find as you listen to us this year and, and follow us on Instagram and the things that we're talking about is we have felt a real call to help make General Conference more relevant to the way we are daily living out our faith story and what it actually looks like. And it was really fun because when we were teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and this happened with my seminary kids Wednesday, when I was teaching the Sermon on the Mount and I talked about how we did earlier, it was just like a gigantic general conference is what happened there. (laughs) And then my kids were like, what? That's such a great idea. Why can't we have general conference outside? That's what where their mind went. <laughs> but you <laughs> like, can. That's what's so nice. <laughs> Great idea. I'll tell President Nelson. We want to have the next Listen, conference. Only outside. a couple thousand people have to be in the building, but everyone else can, can be outside. outside. And listen, and, um, and we've talked about this thought of like, how do we make these words of modern prophets that are so critical right now? When you read the news, when you see what is happening in the world right now, and you think, I need answers for myself, for my family, for my, how do I even raise my kids right now? And then to think to yourself, like, it, Lent is about to start. It is 40 days till Easter, but also I feel this call in my heart right now that it is 40 days till conference. Mm. And how am I preparing to actually sit at the feet? of the prophets and apostles and learn what is most relevant for me right now. And I love that last line that you read in here where where they said, we've never seen it in this fashion. And I think to myself, that is the conference experience I wanna be having every time is like, okay, make this relevant to me and to my friends and to my people and, and what do we need to be doing? It was interested, interesting because that Sermon on the Mount week, we um, talked about one of our general conference traditions, habits, rituals, rhythms, how we do conference. And we talked about our cute friend Rio who has come up with this system that we just love of tracking, keeping track of those notes. And it includes a way to prepare for conference and a way to record conference, but also a way to revisit conference, which we actually love. It's, It's making it relevant and important and intentional in our lives. And then the most awesome thing was you sold out her conference workbooks in four days, everybody, which was (laughs) a big surprise for her uh, because we had not anticipated doing that. But we've actually talked her into a reprint that we're helping her with right now. And so as you're preparing for conference and for trying to bring in these words of ancient and modern prophets together, We're going to just send you back to her website because she's going to have uh, these for you. The children's ones, which I love, are my favorite. I'm just going to show one thing I love about these. Um, Are probably going to sell out and we are not going to reprint these. So if you have little ones at home, I love, here's their week to prepare. It's a chain. They rip off and every day it just gives them a little assignment to prepare. But then 
things that they can be doing in conference. I love that they get to color what every person looks like who's going to be speaking. But then these amazing like hands-on activities and that get them into what they're learning and wanting to write about and think about and there's a service activity and just fun things and stickers at the back that um, will allow them to do that but um, for me what I love the most is the idea of this keepsake journal mm -hmm. I have all of mine from past conferences and one of the things I love the most is being able to write down in that instant what feels super relevant to me as I'm listening and then as I go back and study with my Release Society class or on Inklings every Thursday when we study together, I love to pull out my notes and say, okay, what felt super important in that moment? Yeah. When the sermon was taking place, what were the promptings that came? What were the things I felt like my family needed? Um, so anyways, we will put these in the newsletter. So if that sounds like something that you are feeling inclined to do is just make more space in your life for conference to become more relevant. And you're going to hear me talking about that a lot on Inklings, but um, also David um, leaning into a little bit, how do we pull out pieces of this most recent scripture and revelation for our day, for a time such as this, which is starting to feel so hard to navigate spiritually. And I just, I love that little like sprinkle of here's some help. Yeah, a, a way to just elevate the experience to almost like there's some. I mean, there's so much research about writing, you know, physically writing yeah. that like fires the brain and the memory and all of those things. But it's a way for almost me to indicate and say, I'm I want to learn something. I'm ready to be directed. I want to be intentional about this experience and I want this experience to be elevated for me. And then I love, love, love the concept and idea of like, and then let it guide me for the, for the next six months. Yeah. And I've got to record it if I want it to guide you. And yeah. And anyway, you can do it in this beautiful organized way or on your phone. It doesn't matter, but yes, some way for it to guide you that I can come back to it because I want to open it uh, four months after conference and come to Elder McConkie's talk and say, carry your corner. And I want to read the names that I actually wrote down during that and think to myself, I actually haven't done anything with those people. And I was so impressed to, you know, at, during, during that, that time and, and live out, carry your corner for one week. Yeah. And then what's next week or yes. whatever. So, yeah. um, anyways, so many um, good you things. can go to this. It's work and wonder. That's how you find it. Search work and wonder and you'll find it or go to the newsletter and, and get the link there. A little bit extra long explaining these, but we want you, we're doing it a little bit earlier because the reprint's going to sell out and you are our friends. So we want you <laughs> to get it before our non-friends. Oh, so cute. All right. We'll see you, see you next, next week. week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.